Chapter Six of the Wheat Princess by Jean Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. On the morning after their arrival, Marcia had risen early and set out on horseback to explore the neighborhood. As Castel Vivalanti accordingly was engaged in its usual Saturday morning sweeping, a clatter of horses' hoofs suddenly sounded on the tiny corso. The paving is so villainous that a single horse, however daintily it may step, sounds like a cavalcade, and running to the door, the inhabitants of the village beheld the new signorina americana gaily riding up the narrow way and smiling to the right and left for all the world like the queen herself the women contented themselves with standing in the doorways and staring open-mouthed but the children ran boldly after until the signorina presently dismounted and bidding the groom hold her horse sat down upon the doorstep and talked to them with as much friendliness as though she had known them all her life she ended by asking them what in the world they liked best to eat and they declared in a single voice for socolata accordingly they moved in a body to the baker's and to domenico's astonishment ordered all of the chocolate in the shop and while he was excitedly counting it out the signorina kept talking to him about the weather and the scenery and the olive crop until he was so overcome by the honour that he could do nothing but bob his head and murmur si si excellenza si si excellenza to everything she said and as soon as she had mounted her horse again and ridden away with a final wave of her hand to the little black-eyed children domenico hurried to the crocedoro to inform the landlord that he had also had the honour of entertaining the signorina americana who had bought chocolate to the amount of five lira five lira and had given it all away the blacksmith's wife who had followed domenico to hear the news remarked that for her part she thought it a sin to spend so much for chocolate the signorina might have given the money just as well and they could have had meat for sunday but domenico was more ready this time to condone the fault see si, see si, he returned with a nod of his head the signorina meant well no doubt but she could not understand the needs of poor people he supposed that they lived on chocolate all the time at the villa and naturally did not realize that persons who worked for their living found meat more nourishing when marcia returned home with the announcement that she had visited castel vivalanti her uncle replied with an elaborate frown i suppose you scattered soldi broadcast through the streets and have started fifty young italians on the broad road to pauperism not a single soldo she reassured him i distributed nothing more demoralizing than a few cakes of chocolate you'll make a scientific philanthropist if you keep on mr copley laughed but his inner reflections coincided somewhat with those of the blacksmith's wife marcia's explorations were likewise extended in other directions and before the first week was over she had visited most of the villages from palestrina to subiaco as a result the chief article of diet in the sabine mountains bade fair to become sweet chocolate while domenico the baker instead of being grateful for this unexpected flow of custom complained to his friends of the trouble it caused no sooner would he send into rome for a fresh supply than the signorina would come and carry the whole of it off at that rate it was clearly impossible to keep it in stock by means of largesses of chocolate to the children or possibly by a smile and a friendly air marcia had established in a very short time a speaking acquaintance with the whole neighbourhood and on sunny mornings as she rode between the olive orchards and the wheat-fields more than one worker straightened his back to call a pleased buona passeggiata signorina to the fair-haired stranger princess who came from the land across the water where it was rumoured gold could be dug from the ground like potatoes and every one was rich 
all about the region the advent of the foreigners was a subject of chief interest especially because they were americani for many of the people were thinking of becoming americani themselves the servants of the villa when they condescended to drink a glass of wine at the inn of the croce d'oro were almost objects of veneration because they could talk so intimately of the life these stranger princes led the stranger princes would have been astonished could they have heard some of the details of these recitals and so the copley dynasty began at castel vivalanti the life soon fell into a daily routine as life in even the best of places will three meals and tea a book in the shadiness of the ilex grove to the tune of the splashing fountain a siesta at noon a drive in the afternoon and a long night's sleep were the sum of vivalanti's resources marcia liked it italy had got its hold upon her and for the present she was content to drift but mr copley after a few days of lounging on the balustrade smoking countless cigarettes and hungrily reading such newspapers as drifted out on the somewhat casual mails had his horse saddled one morning and rode to palestrina to the station after that he went into rome almost every day and the peasants in the wayside vineyards came to know him as well as his niece but they did not take off their hats and smile as they did to her for he rode past with unseeing eyes rich men they said had no thought for such as they and they turned back to their work with a sullen scowl work at the best is hard enough and it is a pity when the smile that makes it lighter is withheld howard copley would have been the last to do it had he realized but his thoughts were bent on other things and how could the peasants know that while he galloped by so carelessly his mind was planning a way to get them bread marcia spent many half-hours the first few weeks in loitering about the ruins of the old villa it was a dream-haunted spot which spoke pathetically of a bygone time with bygone ideals she could never quite reconcile the crumbling arches the fantastic rock-work and the grass-grown terraces with the young italy of montecitorio thirty miles away to eyes fresh from the new world it seemed half unreal one afternoon she had started to walk across the fields to castel vivalanti but the fields had proved too sunny and she had stopped in the shade of the cypresses instead even the ruins seemed to be revivified by the warm touch of spring blue and white anemones rose-coloured cyclamen yellow laburnum burst from every cranny of the stones marcia glanced about with an air of delighted approval a pan with his pipes was all that was needed to make the picture complete she dropped down on the coping of the fountain and with her chin in her hands gazed dreamily at the moss-bearded merman who two centuries before had spouted water from his twisted conch shell she was suddenly startled from her reverie by hearing a voice exclaim buongiorno signorina and she looked up quickly to find paul dessart mr dessart she cried in amazement where in the world did you come from the inn of st agapito at palestrina benoit and i are making it to the centre of a sketching expedition we get a sort of hail fever every spring and when the disease reaches a certain point we pack up and set out for the sabines and how did you manage to find us purely chance he returned more or less truthfully i picked out this road as a promising field and when i came to the gateway being an artist i couldn't resist the temptation of coming in i didn't know that it was villa vivalanti or that i should find you here he sat down on the edge of the fountain and looked about well marcia inquired i don't wonder that you wanted to exchange rome for this may i make a little sketch and will you stay and talk to me until it is finished that depends upon how long it takes you to make a little sketch i shall subscribe to no carte blanche promises 
he got out a box of water-colours from one pocket of his norfolk jacket and a large pad from the other and having filled his cup at the little rush-choked stream which once had fed the fountain set to work without more ado i heard from the roystons this morning said marcia presently and immediately she was sorry that she had not started some other subject in their former conversations paul's relations with his family had never proved a very fortunate topic any bad news he inquired flippantly they will reach rome in a week or so holy week i might have known it miss copley he looked at her appealingly you know what an indefatigable woman my aunt is she will make me escort her to every religious function that blessed city offers it isn't her way to miss anything marcia smiled slightly at the picture it was lifelike i shall be stopping in palestrina when they come he added she let this observation pass in a disapproving silence oh well he sighed i'll stay and tote them around if you think i ought the bible says you know love your relatives and show mercy unto them that despitefully use you marcia flashed a sudden laugh and then looked grave paul glanced up at her quickly i suppose my aunt told you no end of bad things about me was there anything to tell he shrugged his shoulders i've committed the unpardonable sin of preferring art in rome to coal in pittsburgh he dropped the subject and turned back to his picture and marcia sat watching him as he industriously splashed in colour occasionally their eyes met when he raised his head and if his own lingered a moment longer than convention warranted being an artist he was excusable for she was distinctly an addition to the moss-covered fountain the young man may have prolonged the situation somewhat in any case the sun's rays were beginning to slant when he finally pocketed his colours and presented the picture with a bow it was a dainty little sketch of a ruined grotto and a broken statue with the sunlight flickering through the trees on the flower-sprinkled grass really is it for me she asked it's lovely mr dessart and when i go away from rome i can remember both you and the villa by it when you go away he asked with a notable note of anxiety in his voice but i thought you had come to live with your uncle oh for the present she returned but i'm going back to america in the indefinite future he breathed an exaggerated sigh of relief the indefinite future doesn't bother me before it comes you'll change your mind everybody does it's merely the present i want to be sure of marcia glanced at him a moment with a half provocative laugh and then without responding she turned her head and appeared to study the stone village up on the height she was quite conscious that he was watching her and she was equally conscious that her pale blue muslin gown and her rosebud hat formed an admirable contrast to the frowning old merman when she turned back there was a shade of amusement in her glance paul did not speak but he did not lower his eyes nor in any degree veil his visible admiration she rose with a half shrug and brushed back a stray lock of hair that was blowing in her eyes i'm hungry she remarked in an exasperatingly matter-of-fact tone let's go back and get some tea will mrs copley receive a jacket and knickerbockers mrs copley will be delighted visitors are a godsend at villa vivalanti they passed from the deep shade of the cypresses to the sun-flecked laurel path that skirted the wheat-field as they strolled along in no great hurry to reach the villa they laughed and chatted lightly but the most important things they said occurred in the pauses when no words were spoken the young man carried his hat in his hand carelessly switching the branches with it as he passed his shining light brown hair almost the colour of marcia's own 
lay on his forehead in a tangled mass and stirred gently in the wind she noted it in an approving sidewise glance and quickly turned away again lest he should look up and catch her eyes upon him in the ilex grove they paused for a moment as the sound of mingled voices reached them from the terrace listen marcia whispered with her finger on her lips and as she recognized the tones she made a slight grimace my two enemies the contessa torranieri and mr sybert the contessa has a villa at tivoli this is very kind of her is it not nine miles is a long distance just to pay a call as they advanced toward the tea-table placed under the trees at the end of the terrace they found an unexpectedly august party not only the contessa torranieri and the secretary of the embassy but the american consul-general as well the men had evidently but just arrived as mrs copley was still engaged with their welcome mr melville you come at exactly the right time we are having mushroom ragout to-night which if i remember is your favourite dish but why didn't you bring your wife my wife my dear lady is at present in capri and shows no intention of coming home your husband pitying my loneliness insisted on bringing me out for the night i am glad that he did we shall hope to see you later however when mrs melville can come too mr sybert she added turning toward the younger man you can't know how we miss not having you drop in at all hours of the day we didn't realize what a necessary member of the family you had become until we had to do without you marcia overhearing this speech politely suppressed a smile as she presented the young painter he was included in the general acclaim this is charming mrs copley declared i was just complaining to the contessa torranieri that not a soul had visited us since we came out to the villa and here are three almost before the words are out of my mouth pietro appearing with the tray full of cups put an end to these amenities and reinforced by gerald they had an unusually festive tea-party mr copley had once remarked concerning paul de Sart that he would be an ornament to any dinner-table and he undoubtedly proved himself an ornament to-day melville introducing the subject of a famous monastery lately suppressed by the government gave rise to a discussion involving many and various opinions the contessa and Dessart hotly defended the homeless monks while the other men from a political point of view were inclined to applaud the action of the premier their arguments were strong but the little contessa two slender hands gesticulating excitedly staunchly held her own though a white in politics her sympathies on occasion stuck persistently to the other side the church had owned the property for five centuries the government for a quarter of a century which had the better right and aside from the justice of the question dessart backed her up for ascetic reasons alone the monks should be allowed to stay who wished to have the beauties of frescoed chapels and carved choir stalls pointed out by blue uniformed government officials whose coats didn't fit it spoiled the poetry names of cardinals and prelates and italian princes passed glibly and the politicians finally retired beaten marcia listening thought approvingly that the young artist was a match for the diplomats and she could not help but acknowledge further that whatever faults the contessa might possess dullness was not among them it was gerald however who furnished the chief diversion that afternoon upon being forbidden to take a third maritozzo he rose reluctantly shook the crumbs from his blouse and drifted off toward the ilex grove to occupy himself with the collection of lizards which he kept in a box under a stone garden seat the group about the tea-table was shortly startled by a splash and a scream and they hastened with one accord to the scene of the disaster mr copley arriving first 
was in time to pluck his son from the fountain like achilles by a heel what's the matter howard mrs copley called as the others anxiously hurried up nothing serious he reassured her gerald has merely been trying to identify himself with his environment gerald dripping and sputtering came out at this point with the astounding assertion that marietta had pushed him in marietta chimed into the general confusion with a volley of latin ejaculations she push him in madonna mia what a fib why should she do such a thing when it would only put her to the trouble of dressing him again she had told him repeatedly not to fall into the fountain but the moment her back was turned he disobeyed amid a chorus of laughter and suggestions of wails and protestations the nurse the boy and his father and mother set out for the house to settle the question leaving the guests at the scene of the tragedy as they strolled back to the terrace the contessa very adroitly held sybert on one side and dessart on the other while with a great deal of animation and gesture she recounted a diverting bit of roman gossip melville and marcia followed after the latter with a speculative eye on the group in front and an amused appreciation of the fact that the young artist would very much have preferred dropping behind possibly the contessa divined this too in any case she held him fast the consul-general was discussing a criticism he had recently read of the american diplomatic service and his opinion of the writer was vigorous melville's views were likely to be both vigorously conceived and vigorously expressed in any case he summed up his remarks america has no call to be ashamed of her representative to italy his excellency is a fine example of the right man in the right place and his excellency's nephew she inquired her eyes on the lounging figure in front of them is an equally fine example of the right man in the wrong place i thought you were one of the people who stood up for him you thought i was one of the people who stood for him well certainly why not melville's tone contained the suggestion of challenge he had fought so many battles in sybert's behalf that a belligerent attitude over the question had become subconscious oh i don't know said marcia vaguely lots of people don't like him melville struck a match lit a cigar and vigorously puffed it into a glow then he observed lots of people are idiots marcia laughed and apologized excuse me but you are all so funny about mr sybert one day i hear the most extravagant things in his praise and the next the most disparaging things in his dispraise it's difficult to know what to believe of such a changeable person as that just let me tell you one thing miss marcia and that is that in this world a man who has no enemies is not to be trusted i don't know how it may be in the world to come as for sybert you may safely believe what his friends say of him in that case he certainly does not show his best side to the world he probably thinks his best side nobody's business but his own and then as a thought reoccurred to him he glanced at her a moment in silence while a brief smile flickered across his aggressively forceful face she could not interpret the smile but it was vaguely irritating and as she did not have anything further to say she pursued her theme roughshod when you see a person who doesn't take any interest in his own country whose only aim is to be thought a cosmopolitan a man of the world whose business in life is to attend social functions and make after-dinner speeches well naturally you can't blame people for not taking him very seriously she finished with a gesture of disdain you were telling me a little while ago miss marcia about some of the people in castel vivalanti 
you appear to be rather proud of your broad-mindedness in occasionally being able to detect the real man underneath the peasant don't you think you might push your penetration just one step further and discover a real man a personality beneath the man of the world once in a while it exists you can't argue me into liking mr sybert she laughed uncle howard has tried it and failed mr and mrs copley returned shortly to their guests and the contessa bemoaning the nine miles announced that she must go mr copley suggested that nine miles would be no longer after dinner than before but the lady was obdurate and her carriage was ordered she took her departure amid a graceful flurry of farewell the contessa had an unerring instinct for effect and her exits and her entrances were divertingly spectacular she bade mrs copley marcia and the consul-general good-bye upon the terrace and trailed across the marble flagging attended at a careful distance from her train by the three remaining men sybert handed her into the carriage dessart arranged the lap-robe while copley brought up the rear gingerly bearing her lace parasol with a gay little tilt of her white plumed hat toward the group on the terrace and an all-inclusive flash of black eyes she was finally off followed by the courtly bows of her three cavaliers marcia with sybert and dessart on either hand continued to stroll up and down the terrace while her aunt and uncle entertained melville amid the furnished comfort of the loggia sybert would ordinarily have joined the group on the loggia but he happened to be in the middle of a discussion with dessart regarding the new and according to most people scandalous proposition for leavening the seven hills the two men seemed to be diametrically opposed to all their views and were equally far apart in the methods of arguing dessart would lunge into flights of exaggerated rhetoric piling up adjectives and metaphors until by sheer weight he had carried his listeners off their feet while sybert with a curt phrase would knock the cornerstone from under the finished edifice the latter's method of fencing had always irritated marcia beyond measure he had a fashion of stating his point and then abandoning his adversary's eloquence in mid-air as if it were not worth his while to argue further to-day having come to a deadlock in the matter of piano regalatore they dropped the subject and pausing by the terrace parapet they stood looking down on the plain below dessart scanned it eagerly with eyes quick to catch every contrast and tone he noted the varying purples of the distance the narrow ribbon of glimmering gold where sky and plain met sea the misty whiteness of rome the sharply cut outline of monte soracte it was perfect as a picture composition perspective cutter scheme nothing might be bettered he sighed a contented sigh even i he murmured couldn't suggest a single change a slight smile crept over sybert's sombre face i could suggest a number the young painter brought a reproachful gaze to bear upon him ah he agreed and i can imagine the direction they'd take miss copley he added turning to marcia let me tell you of the thing i saw the other day on the roman campagna a sight which was enough to make a right-minded man sick i saw there was a tragic pause a mccormick reaper and binder sybert uttered a short laugh i am glad that you did and i only wish it were possible for one to see more man man you don't know what you are saying paul cried there were tears in his voice a mccormick reaper i tell you painted red and yellow and blue the man who did it should have been compelled to drink his paint marcia laughed and he added disgustedly the thing sows and reaps and binds all at once one shudders to think of its activities and that in the agra romana 
which picturesque peasants have spaded and planted and mowed by hand for thousands of years not however a particularly economical way of cultivating the campagna sybert observed economical way of cultivating the campagna dessart repeated the words with a groan is there no place in the world sacred to beauty must america flood every corner of the habitable globe with reapers and sewing-machines and trolley-cars the way they're sophisticating these adorably antique peasants is criminal that's the way it seems to me marcia agreed cordially uncle howard says they haven't enough to eat but they certainly do look happy and they don't look thin i can't help believing he exaggerates the trouble an italian miss copley who doesn't know where his next meal is coming from will lie on his back in the sunshine thinking how pretty the sky looks and he will get as much pleasure from the prospects as he would from his dinner if that isn't the art of being happy i don't know what is and that is why i hate to have italy spoiled well dessart i fancy we all hate that sybert returned though i am afraid we should quarrel over definitions he stretched out his hand toward the west where the plain joined the sea by the ruins of ostia and the pontine marshes it was a great barren desolate waste unpeopled uncultivated fever-stricken don't you think it would be a rather fine thing he asked to see that land drained and planted and lived on again as it was perhaps two thousand years ago marcia shook her head i should rather have it left just as it is possibly a few might gain but think of the poetry and the picturesqueness and the romance that the many would lose once in a while mr sybert it seems as if utility might give way to poetry especially on the roman campagna it is more fitting that it should be desolate and bare with only a few wandering shepherds and herds and no buildings but ruined towers and latin tombs a sort of burial-place for ancient rome the living have a few rights even in rome they seem to have a good many dessart agreed oh i know what you reformers want you'd like to see the city full of smokestacks and machinery and the campagna laid out in garden plots and everybody getting good wages and six per cent interest with all the people dressed alike in ready-made clothing instead of peasant costume and nobody poor and nobody picturesque sybert did not reply for a moment as with half-shut eyes he studied the distance he was thinking of a ride he had taken three days before he had gone out with a hunting party to one of the great campagna estates owned by a roman prince whose only interest in the land was to draw from it every possible centesimi of income they had stopped to water their horses at a cluster of straw huts where the farm labourers lived and sybert had dismounted and gone into one of them to talk to the people it was dark and damp with a dirt floor and rude bunks along the sides there fifty human beings lived crowded together breathing the heavy pestilential air they had come down to bands from their mountain homes searching for work and had sold their lives to the prince for thirty cents a day the picture flashed across him now of their pale apathetic faces of the dumb reproach in their eyes and for a second he felt tempted to describe it but with the reflection that neither of the two before him would care any more about it than had the landlord prince he changed his expression into a careless shrug it will be some time before we'll see that he answered dessart's speech but you'd like it wouldn't you marcia persisted yes wouldn't you no she laughed i can't say that i should i decidedly prefer the peasants as they are they are far more attractive when they are poor and since they are happy in spite of it i don't see why it is our place to object 
Sybert eyed the pavement impassively a moment. Then he raised his head and turned to Marcia. He swept her a glance from head to foot, which took in every detail of her dainty gown, her careless grace as she leaned against the balustrade, and he made no endeavour to conceal the look of critically cold contempt in his eyes. Marcia returned his glance with an air of angry challenge. Not a word was spoken, but it was an open declaration of war. End of chapter 6